Hi, everybody. I'm George, and this is The Best Little Horror House in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest, at least. And today's guest is a very funny writer and comedian who you might have heard on Eat, Pray, Dunk and Two Old Queens. Please welcome Mark Rennie. Hello. <sighs> Hello. Ah, the accolades. The crowd going <laughs> the nuts. The crowd. <laughs> this live crowd you flew in from the Eagles game? Yes, That's right. the Eagles game. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. All the birds fans also love Carrie. I would hope so. Yeah. What's not to like? Brian De Palma, a Philly boy. So. Oh, is that so? That's so. Do you detect any like Philliness from his direct? You know what I mean. I think that there is a certain attitude to it. Um, I also Blowout takes place in Philadelphia, which is that's uh, true. Very fun. So so yeah, I, I think he uh he, he's he's getting his Philly his Philly steps in. <laughs> at least good yeah. i've never been so like uh, this is all this is my my only insight into philly was brian de palma movies so i think it's a pretty accurate representation <laughs> okay <laughs> like spectacular but there's an undercurrent of grime mm, exactly exactly <laughs> why don't you tell us a little bit about your history with horror well i grew up in a family that did not like horror so i was the soul um to me i i wonder if that just made it even more taboo or more of an attraction to me but i do remember the first time i like saw a horror movie it was like i was probably i must have been seven or eight years old we were like driving to my uncle's house at christmas time he lived in arizona in the desert but it's at winter so like his house isn't surrounded by anything and it's mm-hmm. like there's no lights just the lights of the car and there's like snow drifts and we get to his house and like he's got a you know there's like four cousins and then and they were all he had a vcr which was new at the time <laughs> and there's just a fire in the fireplace and we watched poltergeist wow and i had never seen i was like i was only eight but i was like this is the best movie i've ever seen that <laughs> i've never seen anything like this and like i remember my mom made a joke during it and that was the first time i realized oh you can make a joke while you're watching a movie yeah so i was like terrified and also having like the time of my life that's a perfect setup for it <laughs> it sounds yeah like- so ever since then, I like always like the horror section of like the, you know, the video store was always the most. I mean, with gold, that was the best section of the box art alone. They never yeah. delivered <laughs> on what was on the box art, but it was still such like there was something like taboo about it. You know, you always kept and, the hope alive that it would deliver. <laughs> yeah. Is this monkey really going to shine? I don't know. <laughs> We're still looking for it. <laughs> We're still looking for that monkey shining. <laughs> And then, like, we didn't have, I sound like a 90-year-old, we didn't have young adult books, so I had to go from, like, Judy Bloom to, like, I was reading Stephen King by the time I was, like, 12, you wow. know? my I never had nightmares, so my parents were just fine with that. I didn't, you know, I didn't. It didn't seem to affect me in any negative way. Sure. So I was just an early adopter of. I was a, obsessively a Stephen King, and then of course Dean Koontz. When there's no new Stephen King to read, <laughs> you got to go down that Koontz well. Uh, of course, of course. Yeah, that's a. I think a, a fun transition. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret White. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where's that movie? I would love a prequel. <laughs> I'm sure that it would be very, very wild. I don't need a Wonka. You <laughs> mean Margaret, you know? Yes, where are, where are the movies that people are actually demanding? Exactly. Well, at least two people. <laughs> two more than Wonka, I think. Yes. But ever since then, my family still doesn't like horror. But my nephews, who are now like in their 20s, uh, they like horror, thank God. Like they nice. told me like a few years ago, like, we saw Midsommar and loved it. I'm like, oh, thank God. There's hope. Great. <laughs> Hell yeah, hell yeah. Hell and that's yeah. that's great to have someone to uh, to share it with, for sure, in the family. Yeah, so now when I go home for Christmas, I always try to w- watch something. Two years ago, we w- I showed them Death Spa. I don't know if you've seen Ooh, Death yes. Spa. <laughs> 
one of my That's favorite one. 80s horror movies. Yes. It's so I feel like it's it's criminally underrated. Yeah, I agree. It's funny because people kind of like toss the name around and they're like, oh, funny name. But then it actually is like a fun movie as well. Totally. I'm in complete agreement with you. And this Christmas, it's Tammy and the T-Rex. Oh, hell yes. Another great one. Paul <laughs> right? Walker at his finest. <laughs> Denise Richards, never been better. Oh, man. What Not a great saying time. much, but she's never been better. <laughs> <laughs> So I try to be the fun uncle now. Hell yeah. Sounds like you're nailing it. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> do you have a favorite subgenre? Something that gets you more jazz to see it? I love anytime there's like psychic battles. I love psychics. I love like body transformation. I do like body horror. Like yeah. a chrono. There's like, I feel that's criminally underserved. Sure. So Scanners has got to be right up your scanners, alley. Scanners. <laughs> I love the fly. I love the brood. Mm, so brood was like a recent more discovery. And that one I really took. I like a sexy. I like a. I'm really into the Lost Boys these days. Mm, Schumacher killing it. Yeah. This summer I went through the Shout Factory box set of the Friday the 13th franchise. Get a little psychic action in there too. <laughs> there is a little bit of everything. Yeah. And I never watched them like all the way through before like that. And they're really, it was so much better than I thought they were. I used to think they're all like, so like, oh, they're all the same, but they really aren't. They're really like all kind of their own beast in a weird, yeah. like they all have like weird mini arcs within them. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of fun because it does have the kind of like same framework that exists in all of them. You know, kind of what you're in for, but the way that it happens and the setting and all that, yeah. and who the players, that keeps changing in a way that does keep it fresh. Right. And then Jason X, I was like, this is a fucking blast. <laughs> I remember thinking it got like so denigrated at the time, but watching it now, I was very like, oh, fun. this thing's this thing's very fun. And Cronenberg's in there, bringing it full circle. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I really loved, my favorite, though, was part four. Four is really great. The final, I think that's my favorite one. It has like just amazing stunt work, too. It's great. Feldman is a lot of fun in it. Yeah. It's the first time you care about the people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there's some some definite, some some great, great bright spots in that franchise right. for sure. I love, I guess I don't have like one particular genre, but I do love like breaking down franchises. You yeah, know what I mean? Like, definitely. oh, what's the outlier of this? You know, what's the Freddy 2 of this right. franchise? You know what I mean? Absolutely. But the movie we're talking about today is Brian De Palma's 1976 adaptation of Carrie. I'm curious, Are you You said you're generally a Stephen King fan. Is Carrie the book something that you enjoyed? Is it Was it an early uh, read for you? Or is this more just like you like the movie and, and the, the book doesn't really have anything to do with it? I do love the book. I haven't read the book in years, but go figure. I was really into it in high school. So <laughs> go figure. But I haven't read it in years. I do still love Stephen King. I read his new books when they come out. You know, I try to keep up on King. He's always at least interesting. Definitely. But I do. The movie does just have that. It's also you can watch it in 90 minutes. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Who says no to that? It moves like a <laughs> bullet train. I don't know. It's always great so i do i probably love the movie more than the book i would say like the movie is like probably a maybe it's my favorite horror movie and i wouldn't say the book is my favorite horror but you know horror novel so there you go easy as that yeah i also read it a while ago and i remember similarly thinking it was pretty good but i definitely do prefer the movie uh, i also did see carry the musical <laughs> You've seen it. <laughs> yes. My grandmother is very involved in like off-Broadway theater. And so oh. we have gone to see like a lot of shows that have just kind of sprung up cool. <laughs> out of nowhere. I got to say, I had fun. You know, there was a splash zone for blood. Uh, the little practical Were you in the telekinesis. Splash zone? 
I was in the splash though, and I my grandmother <laughs> sat back, but I said, "Please get She's me a no ticket." Dummy. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hear like people say it's like fun. It got kind of got a bad rap, but yeah. I mean, I skimmed the cast recording again today, and I was like, yeah, I, this is fine. It's not the best musical I've ever heard, but it's <laughs> no. fun. <laughs> no, I do hope they did it. It was here in L.A. like seven years ago when they did it in, in like an actual high school gym, wow. and I hope that comes back because I missed the opportunity to see it. But I would lo- actually love to because it is such like an operatic piece yeah you know it gets those it's such like a personal story but then it just the sheer like apocalypse of the ending it like just really lends itself to theater sure yeah and even just the religious aspects of like mrs white and everything lends to the sort of operatic choir stuff that that can happen so yeah uh it's fun it's fun i would love to see it so this is brian's 10th movie and his first quote-unquote commercial one He read the book in 1975 after it was suggested to him by a writer friend who was like, one of my friends wrote this book, some upcomer named Stephen King. Can you imagine? (laughs) (laughs) It's like NFT, but if NFTs were like real, you know, we get it on the ground floor of this and it actually pays off. You know what I mean? Definitely. How often does that happen? Very, very infrequently. And it paid off in spades here. Um, He said he liked it a lot. And when he found out that nobody had bought it yet. He called in some favors at the studios because he really wanted to do it. This is the first adaptation of more than 100 works based on King stories. <sighs> That's wild. I think at one point, like, King, like, wrote this and he threw it in the trash. And his wife is the one who's like, no, don't do that. This is worth something. That's great. Obviously, having her there to support it and lend insight into the female perspective and everything is huge. Something he struggles with. Yes. <laughs> yes. I think I think that's definitely the case. And so having her there, I mean, it does feel really fleshed out, especially for uh, a, a sort of a debut. You know, it does feel really well put together. And I think that having someone there to say this is working or this isn't working, you know, uh, maybe now, however many books into it he is, people are a little less willing to say, yeah. don't don't include that, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you're going to tell him no at this point. <laughs> It is crazy, like, even from the get-go, from his first... Because I always think what I like about Stephen King, like, the things I find scary is, like, the way he writes fanatics or, like, true believers Mm -hmm. are, like... That is, to me, and especially, like, the current climate, it just becomes more resonant of, like, you'll never convince these people that they're wrong. You know, mm-hmm. they'll just, they're just true believers in, like, lunacy and will, like, stop at nothing to make sure what they believe is, like, right and just happens. And he's that's, like, a touchstone throughout his novels. And it's just interesting that from the get-go, there's, like, I would say Chris and Margaret are, like, two both fanatics who look at Carrie as, like, they call her as this is the first time I watched this movie, like when they call her like a scapegoat. And that like really resonated with me this time. Like, she does take the brunt of everyone's like, you're the reason I'm unhappy with my life, essentially. Yes, I totally agree. I think that is something that King does really well. You know, it, uh, The Mist comes to yes. mind uh, as a really great example. Annie Wilkes, you know. Yes, yes. And just the way that these people can push those who you might not expect to fall in line with them into like using their fear, leveraging that into being on their side and yeah, creating a scapegoat like Carrie. Just, it's really impressive stuff. I I like it a lot as well. And it just feels like human too. You know, and it doesn't feel like it's not, it's scarier than like the giant it spider, you know, like it's (laughs) it's scarier than that. Cause like, well, I don't know what that is. I don't know what I would do with it, but like I've seen a crazy person on the street saying God hates, you know, 
fags? Can I yeah. say it? I don't know. Sure. <laughs> I, I'll let you be I'll the judge I of that. Can. Yes. Okay. <laughs> We've all seen the signs outside yes. of Comic-Con. Yes, exactly. And so nothing really happened for six months. And when he sold Phantom of the Paradise to Fox, this put him in contact with Paul Monash, who was producing it as part of a multi-film deal. And he said, hey, Paul, I really want to do this movie. But they didn't really move on it until another six months later when Brian heard from one of his other producer buddies that the producer of Carrie was calling around asking what Brian was like <laughs> because <laughs> he wasn't totally sold on De Palma and his vision. But um, the United Artists president, Eric Plesko, and head of production, Mike Metavoy, who wound up being the ones distributing the movie, put the squeeze on him and said, uh, we want it to be Brian. So he eventually acquiesced. Basing it off of Phantom of the Paradise. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's such like a wild, still to this day, is a wild movie. Yes. You know, it's like, is this the movie that's going to be captured a grounded, you know, a <laughs> horror movie for the masses? And I love Phantom of the Paradise. It's great. That is a gamble. Definitely. Definitely so. <laughs> There are a lot of first or very early feature actors who are kind of launched by this movie. John Travolta had done some TV between The Boy in the Plastic Bubble and Welcome Back, Cotter. And he had a small role in a movie called The Devil's Reign with William Shatner, Ernest Borgnine, and Anton LaVey, which is a wild sentence. Wow. <laughs> it's like a love boat <laughs> cast, guest cast. <laughs> But yeah, this was a star-making performance. It led to Saturday Night Fever, Grease, Blowout, also with De Palma. A lot of really strong work, and it all started here. This is my preferred John Travolta high school movie. I mean, look, Grease is great, but... I prefer Grease, too. To Grease. Wow. Wow. That's, is that a hot take? I don't know. I've heard other people say that. I, I've heard it come up more and more. Grease, too, I didn't see until much later in my life. See, I didn't see Grease until mm. like a year ago. Wow. I, but I saw Grease 2 like seven years ago. I was like, oh, this is goofy. There you go. It is very goofy. My folks are big Grease fans, which is why I saw it very frequently as a Well, young you have man, this so. theater background. Yes, exactly. So, uh, so uh, you know, uh, maybe with with time, Grease 2 will, will su supplant it. But uh, at the moment, I'm falling on the Grease. Are side. your folks, were they, are they into horror? Have you like been able to return the favor? Yeah. So my dad is a huge Stephen King fan. Oh, nice. Yeah. And my mom wasn't like super into horror as like an adult. She liked it as a kid. And then actually listening to this podcast kind of got her back into oh, nice. it. So, uh, <laughs> so that's you. fun. Yeah. Some of them were also just discovered because Brian was sharing a cattle call with George Lucas for Star Wars. Mm. And so people like PJ Souls and William Catt would come in to audition for Luke Skywalker or whatever. And even though George wasn't into them, Brian apparently was like sitting in the corner scribbling names <laughs> and watching for who he could steal away. That's my Tommy. <laughs> Imagine, though, what a wild like moment in the hall. You're either going to be in Carrie, an iconic <laughs> horror movie, or Star Wars. It's it's incredible. And it was so funny also like reading Cinefantastique to like read interviews mm. for Carrie. And in those same issues, it was people people being like, this, the Star Wars could either be the biggest flop or a huge success, depending on either way it falls. And it's just so funny to think of this juggernaut being like. They don't really cover the spread, though. With that yes. <laughs> they really did. Yeah, they were like, it's one or the other. It's either going to be good or not. <laughs> we shall have to see. Nancy Allen actually auditioned on the last day of this cattle call. She was pretty new in Hollywood, and she was frustrated at her not booking anything, so she was actually about to head back to New York, but ran into a casting director at the steam room of a gym, <laughs> who said, <Okay. laughs> right, and, and she said, hey, come on by, you'll at least get to meet a director, 
Uh, and it worked out well because she didn't just meet him. She went on to marry Brian De Palma in 1979, although they did divorce five years later. And it's, she's great in Blowout, too. Her and Travolta. Oh, my gosh. She's an amazing actor. I think she's great in the De Palma movies. I mean, Robocop. Robocop. She's amazing. Hello. Yes. Great, great actor. Yeah. It's really a stacked cast, too. It's also, <laughs> yeah. I always think it's funny that PJ Souls is like, she gets to wear that hat in a few different <laughs> movies. It was her hat. I know. It's just like a fun, like that the directors were like, no, that's from Carrie. You know what I mean? Like, but it's like almost like a her own like Hitchcock cameo. Kind there you of go, yeah. A real fun touchstone. Rock and roll high school. She's rocking it for sure. Yeah, it was funny. She was talking in one of the documentaries about like she wore it to the audition and, and Brian was like, make sure you bring the hat to the movie. <laughs> and she was like, okay. It should really be in the Smithsonian, honestly. Uh, who says no? Who says no? Come to me and tell me no, and I will <laughs> give you what for. Right up there with the Fonz jacket. Right. And PJ Souls is an icon. Come on. Absolutely. She's in some of the biggest names in horror, you know? Yeah. We also have Amy Irving's first feature as Sue Snell, and Sue's mother is played by her real mother, Priscilla Pointer. And Brian said, I knew her mother was an actress. She was ideal for the part, and there's something about mothers and daughters playing scenes together that takes on a reality, like a documentary reality. Mm. They've had so many scenes together that suddenly the scenes they play in a movie have the authenticity of 20 years of a relationship that's hard to manufacture by anyone else. And, you know, he did this in Sisters to great effect with Jennifer Salt's mom. It works here, too. I think he's right. You know, it's hard to recreate all of the emotional baggage and dynamics that come with knowing someone for 20 years, uh, no matter how much yeah. reversal you have. And they just have a nice, easy, believable rapport. You know, it's just like, just feels very relaxed. I, yeah, well, I'm sure we'll get into it later, but I love when <laughs> Margaret says we're living in godless times. And <laughs> she's like, I'll drink to that. <laughs> it's one of my favorite parts. It's, I love Priscilla Pointer. She brings so much like warmth and like, I don't know, intelligence. Like, cause she's in Nightmare 3, right? Dream right. Warriors. Right. Uh, she's so good. Yeah, she is really great in this. I think that that warmth that she is bringing, it feels very motherly. It feels like real affection between them. Yeah. Which is great. It helps with the believability of everything when you have mm -hmm. those moments. Mm -hmm. Carrie herself is played by Sissy Spacek, who'd actually worked on Phantom of the Paradise as a set dresser, working with production designer Jack Fisk, who she'd met on Badlands, then married right before the release of Phantom. And Brian said... As a matter of fact, I had another lady in mind and had always felt that she would be the ideal person to play the part. But Sissy read the book and liked it quite a lot and mentioned to me that she would be interested in playing the part. I knew Sissy quite well, and she came in to try it out, and of course she was quite good. She played all the parts, Sue Snell, Chris Harginson, Carrie, and played them all really well, and I was sort of keeping her in the back of my mind, but I was still very much oriented towards this other girl. But when we finally had our screen tests... Sissy tested for the part of Carrie and made everyone else look silly. And truly, it is kind of hard to imagine anyone else yeah. in this role. She, I mean, even compared to the book, is kind of like a, a shift in what Carrie is, but has, I think, become the iconic image of this character in a way that none of the remakes have managed to accomplish. The book, you know, is a yeah. great source material, but Sissy Spacek just 
kills the role, knocks it out of the park. Because she has like such a vulnerability at the beginning, but then at some points you are like, oh, she is annoying. You know <laughs> what I mean? There are like you kind of get why like you know Miss Collins gets annoyed with you. Like Carrie, chill out for a second, God. <laughs> you know, what I mean? but like, but I love that she's just like it's just like raw in it. But then like she's ethereal. But then like she has a great arc where she like in the middle of the movie is like standing up for herself finally, yes. and yes. it's totally. Bl- and then like just the haunting her entire presence in the prom sequence. Oh my god. It's the just stiffness the stiff, the like power she's radiant and the intensity mm-hmm. is just like what a payoff. Yeah. The woman he had in mind at first is Betsy Slade. And Sissy said that the auditions mostly saw her reading for the role of Chris, but Brian didn't really see her for that kind of character, which she described as a sex pot. <laughs> Chris is fucked up yeah. in the head. <laughs> yeah, definitely so. <laughs> Queen bitch, I believe, is is, is the term. <laughs> yeah. Just like when they're well, sure, we'll get into it, but when she's giving her boyfriend a blowjob and then the middle of saying, I hate Carrie White. Like, what the hell? Is, what a freak. You know what? I don't want to kink shame, but I don't. That's so. That also feels like a real Stephen King thing of just like he gets like the banality of evil in a way, you know, like just sure. how these normal people, just uh, the darkness of their heart. I don't, it just always feels his bullies and assholes and bad guys uh, always feel real to me in this real terrifying way. I totally agree. The problem was that she wasn't really prepped for Carrie because she thought she was going to be Chris and she knew Mm. Brian had someone else in mind. So when she got a commercial that was going to film the same day, she called him and was like, what do you think I should do? And he (laughs) shrugged and was like, I don't know, do the commercial, I guess. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) This understandably pissed her off. So she said she swore at him and hung up, which made me laugh. (laughs) That's a good week, though. Yes, I agree. (laughs) She rubbed Vaseline in her hair. She didn't wash her face. And she took the hem out of a dress her mother made her in the seventh grade to wear to the screen test, which, like she said, uh, promptly blew out of the water. And she said that it was honestly helpful because she used the like feeling sorry for herself of Brian Mm. wanting another actor to develop that character. So. I guess whatever works. <laughs> whatever works. Yeah, it's all there on the screen. Definitely so. And she also mostly kept to herself during shooting to sort of build that isolation that Carrie feels. While it launched the careers of many actors, this was also Piper Laurie's big comeback after The Hustler in 1961 as Margaret White, Carrie's mother, who is abusive, complicated, and grandiose are the three words <laughs> I would use to describe her. <laughs> very grandiose. Very, very theatrical. I'm like, she's the one who should be in like productions. Yeah. <laughs> I don't quote any movies ever. Like, I just, it's not a thing I do, but Carrie. Is like the only movie I remember lines from and monologues <laughs> from. It's the only, it's just everything Margaret White says is just like resonates with me. I can't get enough of Margaret. She is funny, but then she's yes. also terrifying on the same token. You want to laugh at her, but then she's the scariest person in the movie. Yes, exactly. You, 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 you can't laugh at her because she does actually have power, but she is a laughable figure. Yeah. Brian said Piper Laurie was suggested to me by an executive who lived close to Piper in Woodstock. He told me Piper was interested in acting again, and so I thought she was quite good in The Hustler, and I would like to meet her. And when she came to New York, she came in looking like Margaret White with this red hair and black outfit. And I said, my God, this is it. <laughs> I've done it. I've done it. I like the idea of making Margaret White very beautiful and sexual instead of the usual dried up old crone at the top of the hill. Yeah, she's just like a repressed woman who's like 
dealing with in- I mean I would wa- die to know what like her childhood was like. Probably not good. <laughs> you think? <laughs> this is this is what we need the the prequel for. This is what we're I saying. Know. I wonder I never did you ever watch Castle Rock that Hulu show? I didn't get to that. No. I wonder if she ever showed up or like yeah, if any white fun. Did any white people any of the white show up in Castle Rock? Hey, if it's Stephen King, I'm sure that they did. <laughs> yeah. What did she say? Oh, she said I just I watched uh, some of the Blu-ray special features, and she says like I got the script. I didn't know if it was a comedy or a horror. I didn't know what. And then, to this day, even in the contemporary interview, she still sounds like I don't know what this movie is. <laughs> like I don't get it, but it was a good. It helped my career. Yeah, yeah. She so she was like, oh, my husband liked Brian De Palma's work, and he was like, oh, it's usually funny. And she was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are some very funny moments in this movie, though. Yes, I definitely agree. Grim and otherwise, whether it's it's like uh, uncomfortable laughter or just genuinely funny moments, I think that there is a healthy mix of of all of it with the terror. Anytime you have like a lightning bolt crash after someone says prom, <laughs> you, that's funny. <laughs> Carrie, you haven't eaten any of your apple cake. That's <laughs> <laughs> so good. What more do you want out of a movie? Is my question. Can't cannot ask for anything more. Brian wanted Bernard Herman to do the score, but unfortunately he had passed away right before, so they got recommended Pino Donaggio, who did the score for Don't Look Now previously, and he would go on to collaborate with Brian on many more movies, including Blowout and Dress to Kill. Mm, the score is, I do have it on vinyl, not it's- to brag, <laughs> but it is amazing it's such like a, a mood and there's like so many like different tones of the whole thing yes it is so all over the place in a really great way there's a lot of fun yes. synth stuff happening yeah. um uh, yeah i love that drone as soon as like she like kills the lights and Ooh. the prom and it goes all red that burn yes it's like one of my favorite like i don't know if you drone it's one of my favorite drones <laughs> sorry northrop grumman <laughs> this is my favorite drone <laughs> But then, like, the opening track is, like, if you close your eyes and just heard, like, the gentle, lilting, like, song that plays over the opening credits, you're like, oh, yeah, this is, like, the, so- the song of a girl, like, becoming a woman in the shower. Yeah. It's, you know what I mean? classic it's high like school so drama. Yes. I think it works really well there. One of my favorite score moments was when they're doing the detention and it's like oh, keeping yeah. pace with her yelling at them or her <laughs> counting. <laughs> yeah. And then it drops out for her to yell and stop counting and then comes back in as she goes back to counting. Just some great stuff. Sometimes this movie is just straight up goofy. And yeah. I love when movies don't get goofy enough. The fact that it can do that and still have the capacity to hit the ending in a way that feels yeah. earned is so remarkable. Well, De Palma said in this feature, he said, if we didn't do that, people would be laughing at the serious stuff. Right. Which, right. Oh, I guess that's why he's a master director. I guess so. Who knew? <laughs> so. Turns out he knows what he's doing. <laughs> they had a 50-day shooting schedule, and it was funny reading about how Brian was like, I'll do it for $1.8 And the studio was like, $1.6 or not at all. And after some refused pleading, uh, De Palma agreed to 1.6, and then it wound up being 1.8. He knew. He knew. He should have just listened. (laughs) It's easier to ask uh, forgiveness than permission. Exactly. I guess so. 
And it was a big hit. It made just under $34 million at the box office and was critically lauded as well, although a lot of the reviews did it in a way that diminished the other horror that existed at the time, which is always kind of frustrating. They're all like, finally, something good. Oh, right. Yeah, that's pretty rude. I think still to this day, horror is like denigrated upon much maligned and uh, the whole I, like the existence of elevated horror as a term is like oh the rest Dude. of it is shit <laughs> <laughs> yeah like you don't say oh this is elevated documentary right it's just a documentary baby it's just a document it's just a genre it does it's does not inherently it's like emotions they're not yes. inherently good or bad but also it's 2022 this has been a great year for horror am i nuts no i i absolutely agree there's been so much great stuff both studio and independent, there's been a lot of really great stuff. I mean, Nope was incredible. Crimes of the Future. Speaking of uh, Crimes of the Future, I love what yes. a what a, a romp in a weird like that was yes. surprisingly funny. You know, it was it was very funny, and it. I mean, it's so great to have someone who is so amazing like Cronenberg and have him sort of take a step back, it examine his legacy and what it yeah. means to have inspired other people uh, who maybe are doing it more from an exploitation perspective Mm -hmm. of getting stuff on screen that people want to see as opposed to the thematic exploration that Cronenberg was doing it it, it, uh, just like this it has the laughs it has the serious moments yeah totally great stuff I I love that one I love when I'm in capable hands yes exactly Piper and Sissy both got Academy Award nominations for this movie, which was a huge surprise to them as well. Although ultimately they both got passed over for Networks, Faye Dunaway and Beatrice Strait. I mean, both pretty good, but I think Carrie has outlasted Network ultimately. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because... Nothing against Network. Network is a very fine film. Yes, I just think that TV has changed so much even since then. Whereas there is a timelessness to the uh, terror of high school and and the story that's happening here that is, I think, more relatable still to people than the idea of like, all right, well, TV is changing and we need to stand up and say, I'm I'm tired and I'm not going to take it anymore. Yeah, it's mad as hell. But now we're tired. Sorry, yes. <laughs> that makes more sense for this day and age. That was a test. I thought you said you didn't quote. <laughs> All right. (laughs) You fell into my trap. I'm Jigsaw. (laughs) So let's get into the actual movie. It starts out with the credits over a high school volleyball game where we're introduced to Carrie White, who blows the game as predicted by the girls who targeted her. (laughs) There are points where, like, the movie is a little, like, fucked up where you are like... Carrie, like, <laughs> what are you trying to do with that volleyball? She, it's classic. Just she puts her hand forward. Yes. But then fucking Chris walks over. Oh, my God. I. It's so funny that there's like just general annoyed muttering. And then, yes, Chris comes over and she just says, eat shit. So fucking brutal. Aggressive. It's direct. I feel like that expression kind of went out of style, but it really made me laugh. It's too, it's, I, <laughs> that's one of my favorite like tropes of horror movies are just like insane bullies. Yes. Like insane high school bullies are one of my favorite. <laughs> like Tammy and the T-Rex has insane bullies. Yes. Sleepaway Camp. Oh, yes. What, probably my favorite 
bully. Amazing. Total ass. Flat as a board and needs a screw. <laughs> yeah. Like, why are you so mad? Like, what is this coming? Like, everyone around them is just fine. Well, that's what how she is, you know. But it was like, she's a, a lunatic. Yeah. yeah I love really a wild is. bully. But it does, like, perfectly encapsulate the Carrie one, just perfectly encapsulate the entire movie, which I love. That's what any good opening scene should do. Absolutely. I also will say, they got me again later with this when there's graffiti that says Carrie White eats shit. And I was <laughs> yeah. like, I obviously the implication is that it was Chris, but I was like, I laughed at it. And then I remembered that I laughed at it the first time. And I was like, they got me twice. <laughs> I'll, I'll give it to Chris. She's funny. Yes. Yes. Very funny. <laughs> she got me. <laughs> I, this, I can't imagine like having that in a high like that high school needs to have like all right we need to talk what are you guys <laughs> doing with Carrie like this is too much it it was too much and it it only continues to escalate as uh, we go to this locker room scene it's dreamlike with the camera moving through in slow motion and eventually landing on Carrie alone in the shower it's sort of her refuge from life there's no mother no other girls mm. the sound of water is drowning things out but the dream is shattered by the blood of her sudden menstruation. And it is a shocking switch. It really, I think, it hits you pretty hard. Absolutely. Yeah. It goes from like this like almost innocent thing to uh just being in Carrie's horror. But then the real horror is this mob yes. of teen girls. Oh my gosh. So Sissy and Jack Fisk talked about how at this moment she was visualizing his story about being hit by a car while walking down the road looking at Christmas lights. Wow. (laughs) Jesus. That was wild. And Brian also said cutting slow motion is very tricky. There's a whole Mm. different pace to it. It took us weeks and weeks to figure it out to get the right cutting rhythm. And it's really interesting, though, because the shower scene I always wanted to shoot in slow motion I really wanted to get involved in this lyrical eroticism before the blood comes. And it's all wonderful, beautiful. The steam, Carrie's touching herself. And then wham, as soon as you cut from slow motion to regular motion, you're already in a jolt because you're so used Mm. to the time sense. And I agree. Again, turns out this guy knows what he's talking about. (laughs) (laughs) And there's so much slow motion in the movie, Mm -hmm. in the entire movie, but it is all done so well. It never feels like it's like... I mean, it's hard to say it doesn't feel like it's showing off when there's split screen, but it doesn't. It all feels like earned, you know. It doesn't never feels like pretentious or you know. It all feels uh, it's adding to everything. I totally agree. Um, King himself said that the greatest horror facing high school students is quote fear of being afraid and not being able to tell anyone they're afraid. And I mean that's nailed down right here. She's terrified internally because she doesn't know what's happening. But I also think it's interesting that there's no time in the movie for her to be sort of othered by the camera in the movie and to function as the locus of horror because the camera puts us on her side immediately communicating her terror as these teen girls around her in unison start pelting her with tampons and pads and screaming plug it up and they are like the camera is right up in their face they're like grotesque looking yeah oh it's so wild and then I love even the transition of when, like, when Sue like realizes what she's done, like she's the first one to realize, oh, like, because I, you, I'm sure there's times we've all had in like high school where you just get swept up, and you know what I mean, like, oh, this is where all piling up. Well, it's better to be part of the mob than to be the victim of the mob. Exactly, and it just really captures that intent. Like, also, you're a teenager; your hormones and emotions are running wild. Yes, you know, they it does such a great job as establishing sort of the group as a singular external threat. And 
it plays really well into King's other hypothesis that teenagers are one of the most conservative populations in terms of how well deviancy from the norm is handled. Absolutely. Yeah. Look at that. What's happening to Ticketmaster from Taylor Swift. <laughs> They're bringing it down. <laughs> it's the same thing. It's the exact same thing. <laughs> Nancy Allen also talked about how disturbing it was to shoot because they really did get worked up. And, and she said, she, I felt like I hated her in the moment. I'm sure. Ugh, it's such a dark, fucked up, but like real and human thing, which is yeah. what great horror does. I think like you don't have to like be stabbing people to be like <laughs> fucked up and twisted, you know? Yeah, absolutely. The gym teacher, Miss Collins, isn't taking anyone's shit. She is very physical with Sue, demanding Constantly answers. physical with most of her students throughout the <laughs> yeah. movie. And slaps the shit out of Carrie. <laughs> yeah. <as> she- <laughs> calm down. <laughs> it's just smacking him across the face. Why aren't you calm? <laughs> and Carrie throws her back as the light above them shatters. It's the first sign of this telekinesis. And I really like how soon after the period it's in effect because although there's a lot of building to the release of prom, this is now the sword hanging above us, waiting for yeah. it to drop. Yeah, yeah. I just know the oh, there's the twist, I guess, or the the wrinkle. Right, is exactly. that Carrie does seem to have this power, but she's not tapped into it. Yeah, Betty Buckley plays Miss Collins, and she said, "I had a real attitude back then, but Brian liked it." <laughs> <laughs> now, did you see Betty Buckley and Carrie the musical? Because she was Mrs. White in the original. Oh run. my gosh! You know, I uh, might have and not even realized that it was her at the time. Oh, Holy that's cool. Crap. She does realize that Carrie doesn't understand what's happening, and she calms down a bit herself. Although she and the principal alike are shocked that Carrie doesn't know. Sex ed in school is important, gang. <laughs> Absolutely. Please fund those programs because they right. probably aren't getting it at home. <laughs> and also, I love that you can just smoke yeah. in this principal's <laughs> office. Like that, that dates it a little, but just like just openly smoking in the principal's office. That's right. The thing she flips is an ashtray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like I don't think you could do that anymore. That's right. Not, well, not with that attitude. Not with that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, but even here, you know, the principal keeps calling her Cassie, despite being corrected over and over again. Mm. And so this sort of like uncaring adult figure here can definitely compound the the stress that a teenager is feeling. If you're like, oh, they're th- these people are supposed to be protecting me and they are not doing anything. Yeah, you just, she probably just feels unloved. And the one person who does love her, like hates her like her mother loves and despises her because she's her mother to her mother carries just a symbol of like her own sin you know that she enjoyed having sex god forbid right and yeah the ashtray rumbles and then flips as carrie is sent home on the way back she is taunted by cameron de palma on a bike his nephew looped with betty buckley chanting creepy carrie creepy carrie <laughs> that is one of my favorite moments like, oh yes the noise the noise he makes when he falls is really funny so funny yes he gets shoved telepathically and makes tr- <laughs> truly a hysterical noise <laughs> honestly great i was all for it yeah He's a little brat <laughs> he shouldn't have been calling her creepy carrie yeah that's what you get <laughs> So now we've seen the telekinesis in action a few times. It is downplayed compared to the book. Brian said, I felt the telekinesis was basically a device to trick, and I wanted to use it as an extension of her emotions, her feelings that were completely translated into actions that only erupted when she got terribly excited, terribly anxious, and terribly sad. It was always a little out of control, 
almost like Forbidden Planet, where the id monster is an intellectual man murdering people because he subconsciously wants to. I never wanted to use it arbitrarily, floating stuff around. In a movie, that's kind of boring. Okay, she moves objects. As soon as you've established that, I don't think you can do any more with it. Just use it when it's needed and dramatically valid. To play with it, to me, would have been very boring, and ultimately it has to do with credibility. If you do too much, people will say, come on, in the cinema. It's a trick. Oh yeah, they put wires on the lamp, and that's why it floats through the air. You never want the audience to be so analytical and and disassemble the trick. I only ever wanted to use it as an emotional expression of her passions. I think that this is dead on. You know, how many times have you been like distracted by an effect and wondered, oh, how are they doing that in a way that brings you out of the movie? Yeah. Even if you're enjoying it. Well, you're seeing the effect and not like the what the story. Anyway. Yes, you're also, not living part, in the world. If she was using it all the time or for like, oh, I, let me have that glass of water float. Like, I like <laughs> that she's like scared of her power. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. she's scared to tap into her, like, because she's been trained not to. Right. So, right. and I that think repression. that's why it finally makes it so explosive at the end. Like, if she was doing it all the time, it wouldn't feel like such, probably she feels like such a release. Yeah. <laughs> From finally being able to just like let it all go, yeah, and burn it all down. Uh, I totally agree. And when they asked Sissy about this, she said she thought it was a good idea as well. There was more planned, but agreed imagination can do more. And she said we played down the crying too. I didn't want Carrie to be a little wimp who cried all the time. So anytime she cried, it was like a bottling in. There was mm-hmm. never any release. She would cry, but always push it back so that all the time she was like a time bomb. And like you said, finally it comes out and she explodes. Poor Carrie. Poor Carrie. We nailed it. Yeah. (laughs) Great work, us. (laughs) The problem is for Carrie that going home isn't a place of solace. Instead, this social cruelty is affirmed by her fanatical mother who screams about Eve's curse for eating the apple while she's hitting her with the Bible looking like Dracula. Read it. Read it. She also has like weird biblical texts. Like, where are yeah. these? Like, these aren't like Bibles. They're weird workbooks. You know, the fall of woman. Isn't that like what the, the I think that's what her chapter is open to. Something right. about that. Yeah. She, um, it's Margaret White edition. <laughs> you have the King, King James Bible. Yeah. The, the Margaret like, White Bible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you. You found it most uh, Motel 6s. <laughs> It's really messed up. <laughs> She's more of a shame-based take, I think. Yeah. And she says, I can see the sin inside you as clearly as God can before dragging Carrie to a tiny closet full of religious items, including a truly wretched-looking St. Sebastian and, and locks her in to pray for forgiveness, uh, which is not ideal. <laughs> <laughs> you should be locking your kids in the closets, first of all. But also, a light that statue has like, light-up eyes. Oh, terrifying. Truly terrifying. It's so weird. Yeah, I don't know the deal with St. Sebastian, but I guess he got struck by a few arrows. Yeah. I, I will say I am glad I confirmed it wasn't Jesus as a little Jewish boy over here. <laughs> Not Jesus. <Yes. laughs> so St. Sebastian is the patron saint of holy death. Probably not thematic for Mrs. White or anything. No, no. (laughs) Yeah, right. But yeah, he uh, refused to recant his his Christendom at the beginning when the Romans were still killing them, apparently. And uh, and so he is representative of that. Apparently- A true believer. A true believer, and uh, apparently has also become the uh, patron saint of athletes, which I thought was interesting. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. Strange. Strange stuff. They're always being told to stop their insane (laughs) I guess so. I guess so. There are also some very nice dolly shots here as we're like getting led into the closet 
And then the mirror warp before shattering when she finally emerges, also very fun. I love in that reflection of that weird Jesus painting mm. on the wall where it's like the black and white painting. Like it's very like, you know, like Mark Ryden almost looking. It's like very like juxtapause magazine look like. It's just a strange, really creepy painting yes. of Jesus <laughs> over her shoulder. Very much so. Most of her artwork is creepy. <laughs> There's a like lot a of creepy Last Supper. <laughs> yeah. These tapestries. She's got an aesthetic. I'll give her that. <laughs> she there found her voice. so many candles in that house. <laughs> Too many candles. <laughs> I do like the detail that the the neighbors have moved. Like the neighbors next door, their house is for sale. Yeah. And I like thinking that like, well, no wonder living next door to <laughs> Margaret White. You know, I'm sure she's always knocking on the door asking for money and then judging them. Yeah, exactly. She, I mean, if we think that uh, that these other people got it bad when, when she came knocking around imagine living right. next door you just gotta throw over 10 bucks she'll go away but next door you can't that's not so easy that's not so easy every day she looks over the fence like wilson <laughs> right you don't want margaret white maybe that's what she should be in like a it's like the wacky neighbor is a religious fanatic there was a deleted scene they talked about i don't i don't think footage but they had stills of it of like a neighbor next like a teen girl like sunbathing huh. in the back and then carrie walks up to her and says like calls her breast dirty pillows wow the classic and then Margaret comes in and drags her back into the house. <laughs> that's that's so. the white family for you. <laughs> and that's the whites. <laughs> At school the next day, Tommy Ross, the jock, is having a nice poem he wrote, read by the teacher. And we get this gorgeous split diopter combo of near and deep focus to get both him and Carrie in there. As she says, it's beautiful. Of course, Brian De Palma, very famous for his split diopter shots. There are many of them in here. This one in particular is really just something special. This time, watch it, because I've probably seen this horror. This is probably the horror movie I've watched the most out of all of them. And like, it's fun. You notice everything, different thing. But this time I really listened to the content of the poem and like, why did it resonate with Carrie? And I think it's just like, it is a message of optimism. Which I think is probably something Carrie never hears at home. You know, she's only literally hearing about fire and brimstone and then look at the students she's surrounded by. So here's this message of optimism. I think that is what attracts her to Tommy more than his William Cat, you know, Luke Skywalker as <laughs> good looks. Yeah. And it's funny that, you know, on some level you're like, well, of course he's in a position to be optimistic. Like he is, this is true. a beautiful Privilege. jock and, and, and he's an Adonis. Very, yes. A very talented he's winning all these awards coach putting me on nationals <laughs> so you're taking the teacher's position of like i mean this teacher by the way <laughs> just openly mocking i don't know how this school is still in business <laughs> it's pretty aggressive for a teacher I, I think that if i were in the class i might be less inclined to be like hey tommy it's easy for you to say <laughs> sure <laughs> It's time for gym class, again, which Carrie is excused from, and Miss Collins berates the rest of them for what they did to Carrie as she reveals their punishment, which is a week's detention with her on the athletic field, and if they don't come, it's three days suspension and refusal of their prom tickets, which is what she wanted in the first place. That seems like they're getting off easy. Yes. To me, for pelting a girl with tampons on, like, the first time she's ever had a her period, and, like, you're traumatizing this poor girl, and all you have to do is, like, do... I think I would love if I was forced to do an hour of athleticism after, you know, class. Yeah. Like, that'd be great. There you go. Sure, she might slap you around a few times. (laughs) (laughs) We'll do liberal with that (laughs) palm, but... That's true. That is true. But yeah, I mean, 
you see the relief on their face when she's like, I wanted to, I want to suspend you and refuse your prom tickets, which is the threat that gets through to them. The worst thing that could possibly <laughs> happen. And then, Not prom. and then she's like, oh, but the principal decided that it's actually going to be this. Edie McClurg has some very good reaction shots in this. When oh, her yes. relief is so <laughs> funny. I'm a huge Edie McClurg fan. She's the great. Shock of no one. <laughs> but she's like so funny in this. Definitely. Yeah. She, she gets a lot of like FaceTime in terms of like, yeah, yeah, just getting to react to stuff. And she just always looked like a 40 year old. <laughs> it is funny when you see her there the first time and you're like, is she with this group? <laughs> yeah. Is that the sub? <laughs> I do also like how like Sue's, this is when Sue, like you finally start seeing like Sue's over it, over Chris. What is Chris complaining about? Yeah. You know? Right. Yeah. She is the only one who feels any guilt at all. She also reveals here that she is going to the prom with Tom. And it is funny, yeah, like, Chris, they so they go to this detention, they're all doing their thing, Chris says she's done, and Miss Collins can stick the last ten minutes up her ass before getting the shit slapped out of her. She really whacks her. <laughs> you can't do that to me! It's so funny, and then I love that Miss Collins is like, next time I'll knock you down! Yeah. <laughs> like, Miss Collins! Miss Collins. Yeah, oh, why are you so wrapped up? I mean, I get how Chris is awful and like evil incarnate, but there's better ways to approach this. I would agree with that. <laughs> I don't think you're going to break win Chris over by smacking her. Right, right. And uh, Chris, Nancy said that this slap happened about 30 times before they got what he was looking for, uh, which sounds like hell. And then she stalks off and, and swears revenge. Because I guess now, like, I was trying to think, like, well, what does this mean to Chris to be, like, excluded from the group from which she was queen? I feel wow. like. And then so she blames Carrie for all, you know what I mean? Where did my power go? You know, I was, like, the queen bee over these, like, girls, and now you've taken that from me. They've turned on me. They do not support me. I've lost my status. And whose fault is that? Carrie White for being a weirdo. Classic Carrie White being a weirdo. <laughs> yeah. Creepy Carrie. What can we say? Creepy Carrie. <laughs> she eats shit, apparently. What the walls say. That is what the walls say. Meanwhile, she's flipping through the stacks looking for information on miracles. Going past a miracle a day keeps the devil away, which is a particularly <laughs> great title. There were a few she passed. I was like, oh, that one sounds okay. Like it's like <laughs> nope, hidden pit powers of the mind or something. Nah. <laughs> yeah, there was one that was like the evolution of the brain and how that. No. Like, no that one's not it. <laughs> the girl who could move things and went to high school. <laughs> no. <laughs> Doesn't, doesn't sound relatable. <laughs> she eventually, though, lands on The Secret Science Behind Miracles by Max Freedom Long, author of Recovering the Ancient Magic. <laughs> Is that a real book? I don't think so. I, di I oh. didn't look it up, but that's what it says on his title page there. <laughs> I also love the great juxtaposition we get next of Sue and Tommy being very sweet with each other and his or her asking him to take Carrie to the prom as a favor to make up for things, and then eventually agreeing, you know, you see the time jump yeah. there. Um, and then you compare that to Chris speeding along in a muscle car with John Travolta's Billy, who's drinking and carousing and slapping her for calling An him idiot. a stupid yeah. shit. Yeah, Very toxic relationship. Absolutely, and it is such a great juxtaposition without feeling heavy-handed. It doesn't feel like he's saying, do you get it, that these are the two different dynamics here right two different couples both fixated on carrie but going about it two totally different ways yes exactly and as you mentioned before chris goes down on billy to convince him to join her plot for revenge against carrie which i don't quite know how she knew at that point that carrie was going to the prom 
great question. But uh, <laughs> I also don't care. I also, I also one of those people like uh, plot holes only matter to me if I don't like the movie. Yeah. If I like the movie, I don't care about plot holes because who cares? It's we just gotta we gotta get to this point anyways. <laughs> yeah. You know absolutely. what I mean? It doesn't matter. Yeah. And uh, the next day in the library, Tommy does uh, make his move. He asks her to prom. Sissy, again, so great here as she runs away from him when she asks, or when he asks, because she thinks that he's making fun of her. I don't blame her. Like, you know, when has she ever been shown any kindness by, even during, like, the classroom when, like, the teacher's mocking her, no one comes to her defense. Right. Yeah. And, and she just feels so vulnerable in that moment. And Like and a real great. teenager, considering, like, she wasn't. Wasn't she, like, in her early 20s at this yeah, point? Right. She was married. <laughs> she's a married woman. She looks yeah. like a 15-year-old like waif. Yeah. Like a almost like this angelic waif who's just like so vulnerable. Uh you just want to protect her. Yeah. When she's not being completely annoying. <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly how Miss Collins feels. She convinces her to accept it at face value and then hunts them down to question yeah. them about their intentions. <laughs> Miss Collins is like should be a detective or something, <laughs> an interrogator on like SVU or something. She's on the case. She was. I was also thinking maybe she should have switched the order and been like, talk to them first before convincing Carrie to say <laughs> <Yeah>. yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> Let me set you up to fail. Oh, maybe I should double check. Follow up. <laughs> yeah, that is funny. And we do get the great back and forth between them. Sue is like, we don't care what we look like, do we? And Tommy just kind of like nervously laughs and throws up do his I? hands. I don't know. <laughs> I'll just do whatever Sue wants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but also like two gorgeous people saying we don't care what we look like like well you don't have to mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. roll out of bed amy irving with that beautiful head of hair <laughs> you're gonna be fine that's right and he heads to carrie's house later to say hey come on you liked my poem and carrie finally agrees to go with him so that he'll leave before mama realizes what's happening mm. i always find those kind of scenes stressful yeah. When like you're like mom, my, the mom's calling. You're at the door. You need to leave. Just, uh, <laughs> Carrie, <laughs> Carrie. Yeah, she's really leaning into it. It's a funny moment for for uh, Piper there. I heard that house is based on a house uh, that uh, is Jack Fisk saw in Philadelphia. Wow, called a father son holy ghost house, which is like a three bedroom house. I never <laughs> heard this term. Have you heard this term? I had not, but that's fun. I like that a lot. Classic Philly. Get it Classic in there. Philly. <laughs> they love the Holy Trinity. That's I guess. that's the one thing I definitely know about Philadelphia is they love the Holy Trinity. Really? Okay. No, no. <laughs> that and the Liberty Bell. That's right. Those are the three things. Liberty Bell, <laughs> that's all I know. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I guess that's three on its own, but and then uh Gritty. That's the third. So and really, an undercurrent <laughs> of gritty. <laughs> That night, though, Billy puts their plan into action down at the meatpacking company. I think this is the first indication that the town is named Bates, which is a fun homage to Hitchcock there, obviously. Such a disturbing scene, too. It really is. I also just love the mural compared to the dirty confinement that the pigs (laughs) are in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Feels very thematic, obviously. The squalor underneath the glossy image of suburban high school. The cheerful farm and then you see the actual shitty slaughterhouse yard disgusting and billy hammers a pig to death although we don't know why yet at the time and it's it kind of funny to me to like carrie is so ingratiated into pop culture that it's kind of hard to imagine not knowing what happens with the right (laughs) right just imagine like the shock of that for the first time like I guess you see it pretty soon once they get to the prom and like the shop. But before that, yeah, it just must have been like thrilling. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you know who found that? That's a meat yard <laughs> in downtown LA, and Jack Fitz said it was found by Bill Paxton. What? The actor Bill Paxton, who was an art assistant on the movie. Wow. The Pax Man. How about that? He comes through again. Comes through again. That's I classic just, Paxton. The thing, another, like, this is what's creepy about Chris is that she's getting, like, turned on by watching Billy. Is it yeah. Billy? Yeah, Billy, like, killed the ham- hammer a pig to death. Like, Ugh. it's so twisted. Chris is fucked up. <laughs> she's really, her and Mark, they're the, I like, that's what I like about Steve. Like, they're the normal people are scarier than the supernatural thing. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah, this is where we get the the encounter between Carrie and her mother. They're sitting across from each other at the long table, lit by candles with the Last Supper behind them, and you get, yeah, that thunder crash. Prom! (laughs) (laughs) The worst possible thing you could say! (laughs) She freaks out, Margaret does, throwing tea in Carrie's face, and she says, we're gonna move from here rather than let you go to prom with some boy! (laughs) Like Margaret, the cat is out of the bag at this point, you know? That's right. She's also scared of Carrie, which I really like. She knows, like, I probably don't have much hold on her for much longer. Yeah, exactly. This is a huge sign. The period alone was a huge sign that that she was growing up and, and what what the idea of her losing this one person who tolerates her. You yeah, know, who actually does. Scary. Like, Carrie definitely loves her mother. Right. Like, there's never a doubt about Like, she never, it's never like a gleeful, like, the end isn't like this, like, haha, I got you. It's like the, ultimately, the movie's a tragedy. Right. She's um, literally asking her to hold her at the end. <laughs> and her mother can't do it. She's not equipped to do it. Right. Right. That scene is like a perfect distillation of, and like, the, it is funny, but then it takes turn to like scary when Margaret's <laughs> flipping out. But then Carrie is ultimately like this pillar of strength and like, I'm going and there's nothing you could do of, about it. And like, yeah. And I think that's about like the midpoint of the movie, too. You're like, yeah, this is, yeah, fuck yeah, Carrie. We want her to go to the prom. That's right. She says, I'm going, mama, and things are going to change around here, which is met by witch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah not a good sign when you're not a, not <laughs> great but yeah because she uh the telekinesis fit slammed the doors and windows there billy and chris fill the bucket above the stage with blood and they plant someone who is going to collect the ballots so the plan begins to crystallize here and there's some fun getting ready for prom action with tommy and his friends renting stuff. tuxes <laughs> one of my favorite scenes in a movie where there's like, you know, pig's blood at a prom apocalypse, the tuxedo montage <laughs> try-on scene also stands out really well. You know, like that just attests to the power of that scene. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's like the fun, like weird sped up moment of uh, <laughs> yeah. audio in there. He's he's doing some fun the stuff. Only part there. of the movie where they ever speed anything up. Yeah, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's it's not all like- slow-mo otherwise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Carrie is trying on some lipstick and putting on some mascara, but Margaret comes in and she says, red, I might have known it would be red to Carrie in her very pale pink dress. (laughs) It's pink, mama. (laughs) That's right. Margaret is not interested in the corsage that Tommy got her, only that everyone will see her dirty pillows. They're called breasts, mama, and every woman has them. (laughs) Boom. Got her. Carrie uses her powers on mom to push her away as Margaret gets more and more frantic. She's even hurting herself to try and get Carrie to stay, which is also very much present in the book. She, she says, I love you, Mama, as she leaves. And uh, Mama responds, thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. <laughs> Oof. 
That's rough. Any those moments when Piper Laura is like smacking herself. That scene is like scary to me. Like that this woman is so like fucked up that this is the length she will go her just to keep her daughter from like having a friend. Right. Oh, it's it, like you said. It is a, a tragic story that that this is their normalcy. Um, no one is set up for success in this. Absolutely. <laughs> That's right. Just Tommy and Sue. I think, right. <laughs> those privileged assholes. That's it. That's it. <laughs> Carrie is nervous in the car, but they do finally enter prom. Brian mentioned the timelessness of prom, and he said, yes, I did a lot of research about proms, having remembered my own. They're very much the same as they were. It's still the big dance of the year, and who's with who? I went to a few recently to check out and see if they had changed much, and they hadn't at all. It's like your first sexual experience. It never changes. In 1980 or 2001, the far-off future. Can you imagine a space prom? <laughs> the space promise. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Miss Collins says at one point, like, you have to have a date to go to prom. I'm like, what? That's yeah. crazy. I feel like that is not a rule anymore. That's yeah, just like a very bad down. rule. Yeah. yeah. Like, I feel like kids now just go with friends. Like, yeah. they go with like a group. I didn't go to my prom because I was uh, antisocial there in high school. So I don't know. We actually had a junior and a senior prom, and I uh, I did go to both. We had fun, but um, yeah, it was just uh, you know very casual. It, it felt like it was a much bigger deal in this movie. <laughs> I feel like in the eighties, like maybe it's like the social media of it all. Like there mm. isn't like it's a, here's a time to stand out, but now mm. everyone's standing out all the time. So that's who right. Cares? I love that band. Yes, that is playing the like uh, high school in the <laughs> It's like you know, it's like this weird genre of rock that I feel like only existed for like two years. Yeah, they're doing this, kind like, of a Ramones impression a little bit, kind <laughs> of like a little glam, yeah. rock, you know, like a little like sweet that band right. sweet, you know. Devil's got a hold of your heart. Like, <laughs> yeah, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it is good. I can't. Uh, I I it's like fun. it. Very fun. It's fun. I would I would be dancing and that Look. prompt does look fun live band there's a an energy there that doesn't come across with just a dj that's what i'm saying that's absolutely true but at a wedding i feel like you start with the band and then you're mm. gonna want a dj yes band to start and then you you shuffle them off and you play yeah get out of here <laughs> we want to hear baby's got back <laughs> i've never been to a wedding where they didn't play baby's got back at it's some a point. staple it's a staple <laughs> it's a classic for a reason <laughs> Everybody, when they're getting married, has to dial one nine hundred mix a lot. <laughs> yes, license it to say, please. He let will me personally do it. <laughs> he will sign the release himself. <laughs> it takes about six months, but it's worth it. <laughs> yeah, you had to start the process pretty far. <laughs> yeah, in advance, yeah, yeah. It's a lot, a lot of bureaucracy <laughs> getting the right sort. But you want people to dance? You gotta have it. You gotta. So there is some tittering, but Tommy's friends are nice to her, and Miss Collins stops by to chat, and everybody is very charming. Uh, I love Tommy's faux jealousy and Carrie's earnestness. Oh, yeah. Like, hey, you trying to do my girl? Yeah. <laughs> he and Carrie, like, they have, like, a really nice chemistry. Like, it never feels, like, creepy, and he doesn't ever, like, he's not, like, pitying her. He's just being, like, a friend to her. And so it feels like this is, like, the first friend she might have ever had. Yes, you know, the fact that he was put up to this by Sue, it would have been very easy to sort of get some cheap conflict 
out of him right. like dragging his feet or whatever and just not not being willing or even like carrie finds out sue asked him to do it and then she's it's like a she's all that kind yes. of you know what i mean like yeah. wait you were just doing this because your girlfriend you know and then there's a fake conflict that we have right. to wait 15 minutes to be resolved right and that with they skip right over that and and everybody is just is nice boy and nice girl having a nice time <laughs> doing nice things <laughs> that's right there's also a great shot of them spinning on the dance floor with the camera lined up perfectly to catch them Delirious. talking. Really great. They also discover the name, their names on the king and queen ballot, and Tommy convinces her to vote for themselves. Gasp. To the devil with false modesty. <laughs> to the devil. Very subtle. <laughs> yeah, right? That's, that's the one moment where it's like, okay, we get it. <laughs> and then an X next to their names. Mm. They really lean on that X. That's right. And the fix is officially in. Uh, Sue is there, too, just to scope things out. And the spotlight comes on. Things go into slow-mo. It's heavenly again, just like in the shower. And just like in the shower, it is interrupted by a shocking splash of blood. There's that amazing, like, tracking shot where you see it starts on Carrington, then you see PJ Souls pick up the ballots, and we see him swap, and then the camera, like, follows. We see Nancy underneath the thing, and then it goes all the way up yeah, to the top. Of the, up. It's this incredible shot that I feel like you don't get this, like, style. Like, that's, I guess it's not, like, showing, it's just, like, style. And I feel like movies now are, like, so afraid to show, like, this these flourishes of, like, yeah. look what the camera can do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's such I, a exciting gives you a real sense good sense of the time and space of where everything is related it's just so effective and uh, you can't like turn your head away from those kind of moments yeah he has a vision that is is so purposeful and and it works so well with these movies it it does feel like this is something that has sort of faded away uh, from when they from, just shoot everything with like five cameras at the same time you know what i mean yeah exactly just, oh, we'll just the netflix it. special you know the whatever that one <laughs> camera that they use for everything is yeah, you know, it's a shame, but uh, we just don't get Brian De Palma's anymore. That's right. <laughs> Chris pulled down this bucket. She was licking her lips in what Nancy Allen said was orgasmic pleasure. Absolutely. And I just watch it. There's like when she finally like pulls it, you see like this this it's like a quick shot of Chris like throwing her head back almost. Mm -hmm. And like this orgiastic pleasure. I don't yeah. know if orgiastic is a word. Maybe it is. I, I think know. so. I okay. think that's right. <laughs> But also, Sue gets, like, kicked out, and, like, that saved her life. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Miss Collins thinks that she's there to cause uh, cause trouble, and she throws her right out. You can't come without a date! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, loser. <laughs> this prom's for sexy people. That's right. Get out of here, Sue Snell. <laughs> Sue Smell. <laughs> oh! <laughs> no one called her Sue Smell once in the movie. She's too popular. Too These popular are high schoolers? That. I guess... <laughs> Sue is the coolest one. Like yeah. she's the one who doesn't just give. You know, she don't give AF as they. Like. I also like when she leaves like her parents during family dinner. Yeah, like, oh, I'm going. Go. <laughs> See you later. Well, where are you going? I'll be back, uh, Sue. But her mom's like, ah, it's Sue. She'll be fine. <laughs> That's Sue in a nutshell, baby. Sue's got a good head on her shoulders. That's She'll right. Be fine. That's right. Um, I do also love the drained sound here with you see PJ Souls like cackling silently. It's uh, just the sound of the blood and then the, the pale cracking Tommy's head. The whole movie just stops and like catches holds its breath, you know? Yeah, and until suddenly they're not silent. And it's this kaleidoscope of colors and laughing and mama's saying there's oh they're all gonna laugh we're at you. Gonna laugh at you. Adam Sandler style up in here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, Is that the water boy? She's predicting the water boy? 
this voiceover. <laughs> it's echoing in her head as Carrie is soaked in blood and she's wide eyed and she locks the door and begins the chaos. And it is sort of ambiguous, although uh, I think that the inclusion of Miss Collins as someone laughing there does imply to me that this is at least mostly in Carrie's head that maybe people oh, yeah. weren't uh, weren't actually laughing at her like this, especially when you've seen like everyone was clapping for her. Like they were excited that she right. was up there. But like once you've been through, you've been ducked. Like, and there were a few people definitely laughing. So right. I think you PJ just, like, was going nuts. She literally sees red. You know, she's like, "Fuck all of you!" Like how? Also, like Miss Collins like stood by for probably years while Carrie's been. You know what I mean? Like she probably had it with like. It's almost just like fuck the system. You right. know what I mean? It's this apocalyptic rebe- act of like rage and rebellion, just like tear it all down. Which is why I think it does like resonate with like queer people of like, yeah, what the system's never been good for me, so why should I try to maintain it? Tear right. it all down. Right. What is the appeal of of working in that system if it's designed to keep you down? Yeah. And it's just this like explosion of cathartic, and it is like exciting, and it's like it's also like surprisingly not gory. Yeah, it's it's yeah the telekinetic stuff happening. You know, you see Miss Collins get smashed through the through the stomach or whatever, but it's the impact and and the the shock of seeing her that not Miss Collins doing like, right. but she's good. We like Miss <laughs> Collins. You know what I mean? We do like Miss Collins in the movie, so it is shocking. You're like, oh, Carrie's like so fucking raw. And, like <laughs> her power is just like totally taken over. That's right. And there actually was some talk of letting Miss Collins live. But Brian also said, it's like a Greek tragedy. They're all guilty. They all have to go. Yeah. And, and go they do. Whoo. I remember like seeing, I think it was probably years before I finally saw this movie in widescreen. And if you want to see like TV editors like ha- lose their b- <laughs> minds, watching them try to like pan and scan through these like split screen moments, <laughs> it's like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah. that I can only imagine how chaotic that is. I'm definitely curious to hear your opinion on the split screen. I think it's pretty unique, pretty interesting. Brian himself feels conflicted about it. He said that it was tricky and that, quote, the destruction has to be shown in split screen because how many times could you cut from Carrie to things moving around? You can overdo that. It's a dead cinematic device, so I thought I'd do it in split screen. And I spent six weeks myself cutting it together. I had 150 setups trying to get this thing together. Wow. And and it lasted five minutes and it was just too complicated. And you lost a lot of the visceral punch from full screen action. And so my editor and I proceeded to pull out of the split screen and just use it when we precisely needed mm. it. And I, I think that it, it works. Yeah. Yeah. I think it gives it like such style. It is like a little dated, I guess, in this day and age. But I don't get the whole movie. Like, look at the clothes. It's all day. It's fine. It doesn't take me out. Of, I don't know. It just kind of adds to like the chaos. So like if you were in that prom, it does feel like I wouldn't know where to look either. You know, there <laughs> are a lot of shit happening and it does. But also the imagery is also like the lighting is like gorgeous. Oh, this scene. yes. And the music is incredible. It does feel like this over. It's also like the first time in the movie that there has been split screen. So it just feels like, oh, we're now like another level like the rules of reality are almost breaking like Mm -hmm. the visual rules of the movie have been like are changing now like this is now we're in like carrie's world carrie is finally in charge and like one image at a time isn't enough to contain all of this power that's right i think it's really effective yeah and also i like i think it's smart that they didn't do the whole thing because i think you do just want little 
touches of it. Like, I don't think it could be like overwhelming or feel like you're in like a weird, like Disney World exhibition movie. You know what I mean? Where (laughs) you're like, I don't, uh, you would end up just by looking at one of them and like, uh, I'm putting, I'm going all in on four. (laughs) You know what I mean? We're looking at four. (laughs) You know? I, I do think it's funny that he is so conflicted about split screen because. The other day, I watched Sisters, the other Brian De Palma movie. That's a fun one. Margot Kidder. We oh. love Margot Kidder. She was incredible in it. Really, really fantastic. And I also watched the behind-the-scenes documentary about mm. Sisters. And in that, Paul Hirsch, the editor, was like, I actually have serious reservations about the split-screen stuff from a Brechtian perspective. And then Brian De Palma was like, honestly, me too. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. It is comforting to hear like these like, you know, masters of cinema still have like anxieties over like what they even like years later of like, I don't know if that was the right move. And like it's in the criterion collection. You're fine. You You might you don't need to worry about it. It's it's great. They obviously had to rebuild the school gym on a soundstage before burning it down. And Sissy said the special effects were very interesting. I had to stand on that stage while everything was on fire. And I got all the hair on my body practically singed off. So scary. I got so involved in it. Fire? What do you mean? It can't hurt me. I'm Carrie. I'll flex. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Fuck you, fire. I wonder if she could move fire. Like, why can't a telekinesis... Why does uh, a pyrokinetic... Pyrokinesis? Yeah. Like, you would think, well, it still matter. Is it matter? Uh, yeah, it's gotta be, right? I don't know. You didn't research the, what, (laughs) what constitutes fire? I'm so (laughs) sorry. Part of your research? I'm so sorry. Wow. Wow. Everyone, listeners at home. (laughs) What Uh, is fire, mate? I guess it's an element, you know? I'm willing to say that it is matter. And if I'm wrong, I don't want to hear it, listeners. I don't want to hear it. Don't burn me. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Don't roast me. Right. And, uh, and, and yeah, Sissy said, when I was on platform, my cue was leave the stage only when you can't stand the heat anymore, but walk Jesus. slowly. <laughs> my God. I mean, and I truly an iconic walk, though. You know what I mean? This is the best prom scene ever put to yeah. film. Oh, the, the hands so, so the rigid. The hands. Oh, my gosh. The well, this eyes is before. Wide. I mean, I think uh, Elizabeth Olsen should send Sissy's basic a check for the handwork. <laughs> For the Scarlet Witch, you know, it all started right. here. She's all getting it in there, yeah. I just love the shot of her that final when the like the prom doors open and like that weird slow motion and like her just emerging Ugh. from this like house of fire. It's great. Just this it, apocalyptic. Yeah, it is also, I think, just an interesting shift in the, the quote unquote monstrous subject, as it's referred to in analysis, because it starts out with Carrie as the victim of the social body doing mm. violence through, you know, ostracization and judgment. And we're meant to align with Carrie through her feelings of being different from the rest. But then here, we can suddenly identify with the mass of students being terrorized by her violent retaliation. And it's the kind of thing where you can empathize without endorsement. Um, right. King, King described this as a bear being baited by a bunch of dogs that are snarling and biting at her. And in this way, he kind of nails the idea of her being both aggressor and victim for both parties. You know, it's a much larger predator. Mm. She has these powers that they don't have, but the group has the numbers and struck first. So they are equally, uh, uh, you know, so I mean, obviously they are, I would say, more at fault for this uh, sure. retaliation. But obviously you're like, Carrie, 
hey, I, I can understand why you're doing this, but I don't think you should be killing a room full of high schoolers. <laughs> there are better ways, but I mean, you're pretty much ruining your life, but right. I get why you're doing it. it totally, exactly. you, they, you were dumped, uh, they dumped pig's butt on you. That's a, that's a, a crime, at the very yeah, least. At the very it's least. an assault, aggravated assault. <laughs> Something. They seemed aggravated to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But also at the same part, like as a movie goer, you're like, yeah, this is fucking awesome. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like we love seeing Carrie like wreck havoc at the prom. I mean, that's, that's right. why we watch Carrie. Finally, finally, this build has 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 led to this release, and uh, and it's great. It's like also like any like vengeance movie now. Like I've watched. I forget. I was watching some movie like someone got like their come was giving out comeuppance or whatever. And I was like, eh. Like nothing like <laughs> Carrie is the bar in terms of like because it really does it is like a there are goofy moments there are campy moments but this like prom sequence just has like such pure like a real power to it it really feels I, I just keep coming back to the word apocalypse it does feel like a scorched earth I don't know it just really puts me in that place yeah I completely agree I think that it's really great and and yeah the moment you specifically called out when she leaves it. And you get the shot of like the doors opening and, and the outside looking yeah. in sort of thing. God, it's just so, so eerie. So yeah. creepy. For there's a shot later when she's like walking oh, when she arrives back home and she's walking in front of like the picket fence in film school, we had to do an assignment where we had to recreate a still mm-hmm. from a movie, like recreating the light. And we did the we did that shot of Carrie Fun. in her <laughs> blood soaked dress in front of a white picket fence. Great. That sounds uh, like a lot of fun. The, it was amazing. Do I have that photo anymore? Absolutely not. Do I know where it is? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> but that's how much I love Carrie. Yeah. It's how, I mean, uh, rightfully so. And thank um, you. <laughs> Carrie, she leaves the prom. Chris tries to run her down, but with a shrieking violin and a glare, Carrie flips the car at 60 miles an hour. Great stunt. We don't see enough cars flipping anymore in movies. Oh, yeah, that's man. another thing. I mean, actual cars flipping and being destroyed. It's never not boring. It's never not boring. This was so fun. I she, she said she worked with the stunt person to get the body movements with the correct stiffness. Mm. And then the car itself was fitted with a two-foot pole that would drop out of the bottom of it at 60 miles an hour. So crazy. And and then the, the tank in the back or the gas can in the trunk would explode. And obviously that flips it even more. It just looks great. Yeah. And I love the like quick like flashes to Carrie's eyes, those jump cuts. Mm. To yes. Just those like, there's something about the blood soaked Carrie, the white porcelain, and then her like dynamic, her amazing blue eyes. Oh, so, so, so great. Carrie finally gets home. She finds it covered in candles. <laughs> there's some That's great That's a bad sign happening. when you get home and your Ooh. religious mother has lit all the candles. Yeah, just leave. Just leave. That's a bad sign, <laughs> Carrie. <laughs> But she knows, like, she thinks her mother was right. This whole, You know what I mean? That's All this true. growth she's made through the whole movie, she's right back to square one now. That's because right. everything her mother said was going to happen did happen. They did laugh at her. Right. The rug got pulled out from under her. And, and she, she takes this bath, and she's scrubbing the blood off and crying as the music fades. It's really a, a poignant moment. It's awful. It's like a, re- a reverse from where we started the shower, you know? Right. Yes, Exactly. And Margaret emerges from behind the door ominously. So, so weird. When she when she first like goes into the bathroom and like the camera just kind of like hangs in the doorway. Yes. And you see Margaret just like standing there like a man. Like <laughs> oh, who is she standing man. like? I guess she's in like prayer or reverie. Mm-hmm. She's uh, struck by the holy will. Carrie is like, ah, you were right. They laughed at me. Please give me some affection. And Margaret 
comforts her. I don't think I don't think Margaret <laughs> knows how. I don't think she is equipped. I don't think she was raised with. I don't think she knows what her love language is. Right. Maybe gifts. Um, <laughs> hey, you get her a new Saint Sebastian, and you're in. You're she in life loves win. it. You know what? If you don't know what to get her, just get her a Yankee candle. I don't know. Can't have enough. Can't have nope. enough. And she says, "I should have killed myself as soon as I found out I was pregnant from uh, marital rape." This monologue, Ugh. or sacrificed you as soon as you were born. I mean, obviously, this is not what anyone wants to hear at the best of times. <laughs> you don't think? Um, yes, not I know. Right That's before you sh- walk down the aisle of your wedding, maybe? Is that a better time? <laughs> your mother pulls you aside? A shocking <laughs> opinion, I know, for me to not want to hear that. But <laughs> I love when she starts going, I could smell the whiskey on his breath. And I liked oh. it. I liked it. Oh. <laughs> yes, this guilt and shame is so clearly tied into her religious extremism and, and mm. mistreatment of Carrie. And and they pray together for the last time as she grabs a hidden knife and literally stabs Carrie in the back. There's also something I've always found so disturbing about that they're both like Carrie's in this like nightgown. And being stabbed in a nightgown is like more upsetting than being like in your day clothes. You know, there's yeah. some maybe it's you're more vulnerable or like the fact that it's like a weird felty thick like it's this cozy comforter. It looks very comfy and then yeah. just being like a <laughs> knife, this massive knife just stabbing you in the back. What it's the so heck? Up. The contrast. Yes. I'm telling you. Definitely, definitely so. And Margaret is grinning maniacally. She's going in for the kill. Making the sign of the cross while she holds the knife. Also, Carrie falls down all those steps. The steps are lined with candles. Doesn't hit one. (laughs) Telekinesis protected her. (laughs) Telekinesis. Maybe she can't touch fire. Maybe wow. that's how it works. Wow. I guess that's She's it. got a bubble around her? I don't know. <laughs> a bubble of psi energy. A bubble of psi. She's got very Jean Grey. That's right. That's right. And she does def- defend herself by hurling a bunch of kitchen implements at Margaret and crucifies her. Good the old potato ironic peeler. death. Oh, my God. The potato the, Why is that the worst <laughs> one? Because it's not blunt. Maybe it's because it's blunt at the end. Yeah, it's rough. And also, to be honest- I probably cut myself on potato peelers more than I have with knives. So. Well, I think they ease you in. Like, you don't expect them to be sharp, That you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's also the one long, it almost looks like a knife you would use to, like, you know, frost a cake. Like, mm-hmm. a long, and when something about, like, any of the anytime you're stabbed with something that isn't a knife <laughs> is more disturbing than being stabbed with a knife. That's right. They had some real force behind them. And uh, it's a classic ironic death. They used a bunch of the violin flexes from Psycho by way of sisters <laughs> during the crucifixion scene as a tribute to Herman. And the ecstasy of her, de- like Margaret White yes. is like, finally, this is everything she's ever wanted. Oh, I'm dying a martyr. I did, you know, I'm dying for my beliefs. This I is am exactly- St. Sebastian. Yeah, <laughs> it's so like twisted that like, ugh, even Margaret gets away with, ugh, she's, she's like, she's like orgasming and she's dying yeah yeah and 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 to her this is her triumph you know she was sacrificing her child like abraham it's a holy death in the name of carrying it out in the book she gets a heart attack which is i think much less interesting than what works better as a book in the book if i works better yeah she's like i'm picturing your heart mama it's easier when i can picture it and it's slowing down (laughs) and 
I mean, it, it's, it's fine cinematic. in the book, though. Yes. But yeah, this is much better in the, in the movie. The worst sure. part is, is what she finds, like, she's trying to pull her mom away and the hand is stuck. Oh, yes. That one palm oh. hand. And then the sound of when it finally, thunk, of when oh. it like, gets free is, oh, awful. It really is. She clutches the corpse in sorrow, drags her into the closet as the house collapses around them. This was a half-scale model built by Jack Fisk, which it's funny to me to think, like, Oh, a half-scale model of a house is still huge. <laughs> right? <you're> it's like, <laughs> it's still an amazing achievement. Yeah. Yeah. So much expense. When you're thinking of what miniature work is like, you're not thinking half of a house. <laughs> right. Isn't that what they did on Lord of the Rings? I think they called them like bigatures. Like a lot of like the city scope of things like we're actually like these mass, like the size of like a Prius or something. You there know you I mean? I mean it, and, and it works here. It works there. Uh, perspective is uh, crazy, man. <laughs> I don't think you would ever notice that that was like a half size yeah. model ever. Yeah. Brian said everything worked except in the book. Stones hit the house. We had this conveyor belt with rocks on it going up and pelting the house. And the house that collapses was built to half scale, which Jack Fist designed it and did a very good job. It's very convincing. But this was the last shot of the film. And it's four o'clock in the morning. And we had this conveyor belt and we had the fires planted and the house is ready to collapse. And the conveyor belt started and the rocks got jammed in it. They were too heavy. Well, it's late already and the sun's coming up. Everyone's been up all night, and the police are arriving, doing to the noise. They they nearly arrested us, so we just went ahead and burned the house up and let it fly apart and sink into the earth. And we thought, oh well, and we went home really depressed. But when we looked at it, it looked great, <laughs> terrific. Forget about the rocks. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we needed them. <laughs> yeah, and, and honestly, I do think that it might have been too much. You know, it, too I much, think yeah. it works great here with the house just kind of imploding up uh, on top of them. I think that it works really great here. And also, to be fair, like I have no sense of perspective on Carrie because I've seen this horror movie more than any <laughs> others. Like I can never find it's always five stars for me. It's always perfect. Yeah. So I have no idea. It's hard for me to imagine like an alternate even version of it, which is why right. I've never like that remake they did was like, eh, right. Exactly. It's like, well, you don't need to. The, it's perfection <laughs> it exists. It, it exists in a perfect There's form. There's also something that the fact that it is like in the 70s that now looking, fe- watching it feels, makes it almost feel more like an urban legend or mm-hmm. something. Yeah. Did you hear about Scary it. Carrie? <laughs> yeah, Creepy <laughs> Carrie. <laughs> Sue did survive thanks to Miss Collins having thrown her out of the prom. And she dreams about walking up to the house site, a slow tracking shot that makes an interesting emotional paradox of being so purposely d- disarming as mm. to make us anticipate a jump, <laughs> yeah. which does come as Carrie's hand grabs her from the rocks. Great. It's so, so great. When I, I had a years ago, when I was living, I was still living at home. I had a friend over, we were watching it. And it was right at the end when Sue was like walking up to the pile of rocks. And my mom walks in and goes, Oh, is this the movie where the hand jumps out of the rubble? <laughs> mom (laughs) 10 seconds (laughs) would have happened damn well that's mom's for you you that's mom still effective (laughs) definitely so the graffiti of carrie white burns in hell rude very rude it's framed in this great tight close-up and i do think it's really interesting because it's sort of saying like the forces of religious fanaticism and normative oppression are very much still at play here in this town. And while Carrie might be dead, 
they can't get rid of her because they can't get rid of the things that created her. Or it's because this is all like in Sue's mind, though. Right. Oh, true that. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> so is this true. what Sue is thinking? Like, uh, like, is there a part of Sue that is... I mean, if you thought Carrie killed all your friends... True. You also might be disgusted by her, but also get it, too. You know what I mean? She yeah. probably is of two minds of it. I also love in the close-up of the thing, it's night like behind mm -hmm. it you know it just yeah. makes it all feel very odd and dreamlike yeah very surreal hence it's a dream yeah and and sue wakes up hysterical and credits roll baby this is how every movie should end like every <laughs> horror movie should end with a mother going it's okay it's okay <laughs> while the music's going da 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 it's like going crazy and it's like things are never going to be okay it's like such a great like bummer sad this operatic tragic note to end on it's mm -hmm. perfect it ends huge yeah oh yeah i mean the mom is on the phone like the doctor says with time she'll forget about no it. way <laughs> how are you gonna forget about this Can't oh yeah i guess i forgot 400 people died in the prom <laughs> i forgot now that you mentioned it i there was something about the prom in my high school now that you mention it this is the 10 year anniversary coming up <laughs> yeah right, wasn't huh. there a reunion supposed to happen weird it's just me <laughs> Just me this year. <laughs> and now, Mark, we have reached the part of the episode where we sum up why it's not just a good horror movie, mm. but is, in fact, the best horror movie ever made. And I'm going to let you start. Okay. Well, I will say it's the best horror movie ever made because it is based, not only is it based on the first novel by America's Master of Horror, but it's a, I don't know, it just has this like, it's funny, it's got everything I want out of a horror movie. It's got every emotion in the emotional rainbow. Is that It's funny, it's tragic, it's creepy, it's legitimately scary. You can watch it of all ages. There's nothing like too terribly upsetting. It's not unpleasant. It's got great music. It's shot by Brian De Palma. It looks amazing. And I don't, there's just a real human primal power to the whole thing while there's a tuxedo <laughs> tryout <laughs> montage and piper laurie giving a performance of the ages like some amazing monologues this is all just a rambling way of saying i just think it has like a real power <laughs> like carrie it just has a real primal power still to this day that is undeniable and it's just an iconic and there's also not a lot of other movies like it where not much really happens until the very end but man what a payoff yeah, to me, this is the best horror movie ever made because it is such a balancing act and they mm. do it so incredibly well. Not only the comedy and the horror, because like we said, there's a lot of funny moments in this mm -hmm. and they're used to great effect in order to keep the scary moments scary. The performances are incredible, but also the balancing act that every teenager has to do. Yes. Of you know, it, it, it's overwhelming classmates and teacher and family. And it's so immediately relatable mm -hmm. that even as intertwined as it is with Carrie's burgeoning femininity, I think in a way it is sort of a genderless story Yes, in that everyone experiences the cruelty of high schoolers in yeah. some way or another, mm -hmm. even if it's just sort of the solipsistic way that they don't consider others feelings or consider them less important because the feelings that they are having are so strong. It is just so such a touch point. And I think that you're right that this is a movie that could be shown to high schoolers and that they would say this is a representation of 
the high school experience in a way that is right. unfortunate but truthful. And that truth speaks to people. It's just so great. Brian De Palma is absolutely killing it. Every actor is incredible in their in their roles. The score is amazing. Oh, the score is so so great. And um, yeah, it's just the best horror movie ever made. So there you we go. We did it. <laughs> we did now, it. Is that real? Is that your? Is it your favorite horror movie? Uh, this week it is. <laughs> okay, but okay. If you had to choose a second one, what's oh. your favorite? Or have you ever said? Or are you saving that for a special episode? So it, it really does kind of depend on on how I'm feeling in the moment. I do. Sure. Psycho probably is up there for me. I think it yeah. is incredible. Tony Perkins is one of the best performances in movies. Oh yeah, period. absolutely. I also love like newer stuff. Like the witch I think is, is really, love really spectacular. So yeah. that's another kind of, it is almost like a parallel of Carrie of like, yeah, no fucking oh, wonders. Yeah. She's burning it all down. What is this like <laughs> puritanical life ever done for me? Right. You and know? Yeah, it wasn't even, she wasn't even the one doing it in, in, in the yeah. movie and everything. So yeah, there is a certain Carriness to it. Yeah. Uh, uh, Suspiria, the new Suspiria. I thought the remake. I love the new Suspiria. Incredible. Yes. Fantastic. Fantastic movie that is the fun thing about like horror like it is i do like that like there's a horror for every mood you know what i mean because like a lot of times like i don't need to watch an a24 i don't need to watch right. a Midsommar, or <laughs> i'm not re- quite in the mood for hereditary right now but i could watch return of the living dead boom throw that you on know? throw on a jason takes manhattan or something you're never gonna well jason goes to manhattan for one shot technically <laughs> and it's toronto <laughs> and it's, yeah i think i do love this that shot of times square when you finally see him yeah beautiful it's oh it's a lot of fun when he walks through and he kicks the the, the boom box, box. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if only that was mo- it's mostly a boat movie that's right it certainly is isn't it <laughs> but you're never gonna have a bad time with jason yeah i agree uh which is all that to say it still does not compare to carrie that's right mark thank you so much for coming on the show this was so much fun please tell the people where they can find uh, you listen to your podcasts all that jazz uh, thank you for having me. You're a fantastic host. I didn't have to do a thing. It was great. <laughs> Uh, you can follow me. Uh, just listen to my podcast, Two Old Queens. I co-host it with John Flynn, and we look for the gayest movies ever via a complex and Byzantine scoring system. There so we know. use math to back up uh, the <laughs> rankings. And I'll say one of the best theme songs in the game. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, uh, we're absolutely. Pretty made by our friend Danny Cohen. So thank it's you. Really great stuff. And of course, there are you every uh, year you do the uh, five cold, five cold screams or five. That's cold, true. Yeah. So. Five cold. We just finished our uh, our annual horror. I love horror. We've done on our page. We've done all. The, we've done a bunch of. Fre- we've done every Freddy movie and every Chucky movie. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Well, you're uh, one that you'll have to get to, especially if you're. Looking for the gayest movie ever made, uh, Fright Night has got to be in there at some point. Uh, we've never done Fright Night, Ooh, the original. Nice. Did you hear Herschel Walker talking about Fright Night today? I admit that is kind of why it was top of mind <laughs> for me. <laughs> but Fright Night is great. Yeah. It's amazing. I love it. I actually think the remake is decent, but that first it's one, hard the original, to... yeah. It's, Let's just face it, really horror movie, favorite. like horror comedy was better in the 80s. They just got it. Really it was. It really was. They had, they, they're, look, there is a certain meanness to the 80s, I think. That, also, uh, cocaine energy, yeah. I think, helps for this kind of stuff. Yeah. It, uh, it's all, it's all coming together there, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as far as my plugs, you can check me out on, uh, on Twitter at Little Horror PHL for as long as Twitter still exists. I think we got another few minutes, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> that username does apply to other places 
like uh, Instagram and Letterboxd, if those are better to follow me at. And it also is where the Patreon is at. If you want to subscribe to the Patreon and get bonus episodes, we got all kinds of fun stuff. Mike Mitchell came back to talk about The Blob 1988. Speaking of 80s horror, that's a really fun one. We just talked about uh, Human Centipede 2 as well. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Who said that was the best horror movie ever? So the nice thing about the Patreon is that we do these spotlights where they don't have to be the best. They just have to be interesting. (laughs) It's definitely interesting. It certainly was. And uh, and so if you want to hear all about Human Centipede 2, you can check out the Patreon. And uh, and yeah, all that stuff. Uh, We got another great episode coming up. Next ones that we're recording, uh, Barbarian next week our, our all right our newest release yet to be picked um which is exciting so that'll be fun with matt apodaca so, uh, so that'll be one to check out all right thanks everyone bye